places this morning. Remember, it's Pentecost today, a day we commemorate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church, a reflection on an Old Testament feast day as well. But I want to look at this memorable occasion from the aspect of the use of our tongue and language and how God cursed, as it were, the earth in a way at the Tower of Babel and then at the Tower of, uh, or at the day of Pentecost, we see him bringing again the unison together in, in the church. So we'll turn to two passages. First, Genesis 11. We'll read the first nine verses and then we'll turn to Acts 2. Genesis 11, the word of our God. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. We'll turn now to Acts chapter 2 the day of Pentecost when, in many ways, this curse or this division of languages is coming together and we find a unison of a message uh, on this day of Pentecost. Acts 2, 1 to 16. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly... There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, 
Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in his own tongue wherein we were born? Parthenians and Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others, mocking, said, These men are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes on to unfold that prophecy and relate it to what's happening in these moments and preaching uh, repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's try it in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning I want to look together with you at something that ought to amaze us and maybe a connection that you have not thought about uh, before. On the one hand, it ought to cause us pause and consideration of God's just judgments. And yet on the other hand, it ought to remind us that He is a most gracious God who is not about to destroy but he's about to save us from ourselves. And I want to do that in light of these two histories, and I want to do it under the theme of the miracle of tongues. And so I want to read one verse from chapter 11 of Acts uh, of Genesis, Genesis 11, verse 9. Therefore is the name of it, this city, called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 8, and then 11b, how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, we do hear them speak, verse 11, in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. I want to look at this from three thoughts this morning. First of all, the confusion, the confusion we find set before us in Genesis 11. And then secondly, the unison that we find coming together in Genesis, uh, sorry, Acts 2. And then last, I want to look at a few uh, thoughts about the future as we look in application of these two passages uh, for ourselves. Well, children, you, you know this day of Pentecost, and I could preach from Acts 2 about what happened there and the sermon that Peter preached and the call that we have to turn from our sins because Christ has been crucified and now that name is to be proclaimed, the gospel proclaimed throughout the world. What I want to do uh, this morning is rather look at what God is doing in these events and how that they are related. And children, as you know, Genesis is about the beginnings, what's 
happening in the history of the world. And as you read Genesis 1 through 11 in particular, you're reading a very rapid description of what has happened in the early part of the earth and the creation of the world and its extension through the generations of a couple thousand years. We have the creation and fall in the first three chapters and then a couple of thousand years that must have transpired until we come to Noah. And then we have the flood in chapters 6 through 9. And then we come to chapter 10, in which Moses is recording for us the families that have descended from Noah and his sons, the various nations and their divisions, how they were divided, we read at the end of chapter 10, in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families in the nations. So Moses has not described why they were divided according to their tongues in chapter 10. He's just telling us where they all went. But when he gets to chapter 11, he's telling us what happened, how that came to pass. And so if we read the scriptures up until this point, it would be what we expect. God commanded Adam to fill the earth, to multiply, and to go to the ends of the earth and to work it, to labor in it, the creation mandate that was given to Adam and his seed. And this command was really, we could say, given again to Noah after he and his family are the only ones who survived the flood to go out and to multiply and cover the earth and have dominion and subdue it. Now, as you read Genesis 2, uh, Genesis also, you, you realize that God has already dealt with various aspects of sin that have entered into the world. We have Adam and Eve's sin, the fall of mankind. We have Cain, who was the first murderer, a great sin that took place, Lamech. And then gradually the earth began to be filled with violence to the extent that God has determined he needed to destroy all the families of the earth and all people except Noah, who was righteous in his sight, and his family. And throughout history, we find that man's sin, which would destroy himself, is met with the marvelous grace of God. God rescues us from destroying ourselves. And so as we open chapter 11, we are immediately told that all the people spoke one language. And children, that would be understandable. All people who ever lived at the time of Genesis 11 have come out of one family, Adam and Eve to begin with, and then, of course, Noah and his family who survived the flood would have spoken one language, one communication. They all knew what each other were saying as they communicated, and that would have been the language then that propagated after the time of the flood. And if we're to stop here and think about this a moment, we were just on a trip to Israel and to Jordan. You need an interpreter. You need someone to explain What's the context of the geography? Yes, but what's happening with the people? You can't talk to the local people. They often don't speak English. They speak uh, the language of the Jews and the Jordan, uh, Jordanians. And you couldn't understand. I couldn't understand them. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful? Just think for a moment if we could have one language over all the earth and you could understand everybody you talked to, everybody you met, you could fly to any country and you could just talk and understand. It creates barriers, it creates difficulties. Wouldn't it be delightful if there was one language? But before we answer that question, we need to ask ourselves another question. If that were so, would it be a good result, actually? Or a bad one? And the question we need to ask in light of Genesis 11 is, when the earth was of one language, what was happening there? And so we need to delve into chapter 11 here to find out what was going on. The heart of people has not changed. Now, instead of dispersing abroad, what we find here in Genesis 11 is that the people of the earth had come to congregate together. There was this felt sense of security. There was a sense of needing to be bound together, and in some sense it was, whether intentional or not, in defiance of what God had told them to do. He had told them to multiply and to be scattered abroad or to fill the earth. And so coming together here in this plain of Shinar and to build a tower there was, we could say, in defiance of what God had told them to do. We are told that the people said to one another, look at verse 3. They said, come, go to, let us make brick, burn them thoroughly. And verse 4, go to, let us build us a tower and a city whose top may reach to heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Everything about what Moses here is recording of this early civilization was about them. Let us make us a city. Let us make us a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. Oh, these men were intelligent. These people were intelligent. They were inventors. They were ingenious people. They baked brick, whatever that looked like, and had mortar to hold it together. But, but our focus this morning ought not to be upon the actual material they used or uh, what this tower may have looked like. You may have seen pictures of it. These were really symptoms of a bigger problem. These men, from the beginning, it seemed, were living in rebellion against God. You notice again in verse 4, let us make us a name, in essence, for ourselves, lest we be scattered upon the whole earth. There is so much in those few words that Moses records for us of the heart, really, behind the building of this very tower here in Genesis 11. And the root of this seems to be as the root of many sins in our lives. Pride. God had not given to Nimrod the blueprint for this building. It was something they had determined on their own to accomplish. 
They had the plans in their hands. They were going to carry on without God who had said, go, go and multiply. They said, come and let us build ourselves a tower. Let us build a fortress that gives us protection, that gives us power, that gives us a name. And generations to come will look back on us, what we have accomplished. When God gives us a name, that's the only name we really need. We read, he gives them a name here. And it's not necessarily a good one. He calls them the children of men. They had fallen from God, and as children of men, they were now going to build something in their own image, make a name great for themselves. They wanted to be a God to themselves, as it were. And here was a culture then that represents man in his fallen state. He wants to rule. He wants to have dominion. He wants to have control. He wants to have power and authority. And much of what was happening here was out of fear. Fear of being scattered and dispersed. Fear and unbelief. They had God's promise. But they didn't believe his word. They put trust in the mortar and the bricks and the tar that they were using. And they were unified as the people, the children of men, around this structure, this building, this symbol. And the focus was upon the unity that they found to accomplish this. Now, what happened? Well, we read, the Lord Jehovah came down to the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And if you understand here in the language of the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's dripping with irony. Here is Jehovah God, the creator of all, who's going to come down and look what the children of men had built. They imagined they had built a wonderful structure, a beautiful civilization, a large monument that was going to extend to heaven itself. And God says, I'm going to come down. I need to come down. It wasn't that he didn't know everything as God, but he gives a picture here. I need to come down like we would bend over and look at an anthill on the side of the sidewalk. God is going to come down. And look what the children of men so insignificantly are doing in the product of their own hands. The reality is what God is saying through this irony is man will never accomplish what he imagines he will be able to do. And then we read in verse 6 and 7, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, God's not afraid of man becoming united and somehow overpowering him in their being united together. That's not the point of what he is saying here. 
The point of what he's saying here is what I said earlier. Man was here on his destiny to destroy himself in separation from his God. And God graciously comes down to keep him from doing that. It's not that God is afraid what man is going to do. They might even travel to the moon. It's not the physical structure here that's the point. It's the heart of these people. And God is going to confuse the language of the people to save them from themselves. Man was unified to accomplish this sinful goal. They wanted to cast off God, be a God to themselves. But God, their God, the God of all the earth, would not let them do what they determined to do. It's a mercy that God came down in this judgment to confuse the language. This confusion of the language prevents man from the rise of a global one-world government which would have been patterned after the thoughts of the children of men. Your minds, I'm sure, probably are going to where we live today. We'll get there. Are we not repeating the same heart, desire, as these early men and women in civilization? And what would have happened had this one world government been in place? It would have been even, if we might say, to the detriment of the coming of the Son of God. And God will confuse their language, send them to the ultimate parts of the earth, uttermost parts of the earth, and bring about his purpose and his cause in the coming of his Son. And you read that also in in Revelation where it talks about uh, this woman who is brought into the wilderness lest the dragon consume her with this flood of waters. But God raises up a standard against it, preventing this woman and her seed to be consumed. Now God accomplishes what should, should have been done in the first place. They should have scattered throughout the earth and, and subdued it and, and brought it forth to the glory of God. And now he, by confusing the language, we read in verse 8, so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth and they left off to build the city. The one human race that was united together was now divided into various groups of people that no longer understood each other. If you think of some of the greatest tragedies of history, all the wars that have taken place, at least 100 to 180 million people have been killed simply alone in wars in the 20th 21st century. How many have been killed through abortion and sacrifice to Moloch? Man will not accomplish his purposes. God graciously intervenes. And what you see here 
immediately following this Tower of Babel and the dispersing of people abroad. I didn't read that, but if you go immediately into verse 10, we have the beginning of God's line through Abraham. God himself would remind even the children of Israel when he calls them out of Egypt. He says, it's not because you have been any better than other people or other nations. I simply have chosen you because I delighted in you. And I have called Abraham, your father, from his father's house from worshiping idols. And the Lord continues that gracious calling till today. He is still calling out sinners from the land, if you will, of Shinar, from the towers that we are building in our Babels. And he transforms us into children of God instead of simply being children of men. That's what he did on the day of Pentecost. He translated people, 3,000 souls, in the preaching of one unified message of the Christ, who is the king of the kingdom, and is gathering in a people throughout all tribes and peoples and nations to himself in the unity of Christ. And even in the saving of Israel, as you follow this history in Genesis, God simply doesn't have in mind a little nation, a little people that are his favored people. What was the nation of Israel to do? to be a witness to all the nations of the earth. In you, all the nations, he says to Abraham, of the earth will be blessed. All the nations, we could say, will come together again under the unity that is found in Christ through the Spirit. And so the rest of this chapter all funnels from the events of this one world unity that is now dispersed to focus in this funnel on one particular person, Abraham and his seed, through whom the promised seed will come, and through whom the true unity will be found. Because those who are in Christ are united as one, one body. They speak one language. And this brings us then to the second thought, the miracle of the unison of tongues. We could say the first miracle was the confusion of tongues. It was a miracle because God interrupted man's devious plan and destruction of himself. And now God is going to come on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem and restore, if you will, what at the Tower of Babel, he had brought to pass. Notice, and you read in Acts, verse 14, for example, Acts 1, what they were doing. These all, and he's talking now about those who Jesus had spoken to as he's called them to come together now, wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In in chapter 1, verse 14, he says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. There was this idea of unity, this idea of oneness. And it continues on into chapter 2 as well, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. And you read in verse 1, 
When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You see the highlight here of the Spirit who is inspiring this writing of Luke. He is saying, here is a unity. Here is a oneness that God is bringing about. Not like Babel, which man brought about, that God had to judge and to spread them abroad. But now he is bringing back together. There is a people with one purpose, one desire, one longing, one heart, one God, one Savior, one language. What's happening here? Well, the Holy Spirit is moving the disciples as they're standing there, Peter being the spokesman, preaching a sermon. And you get the impression that as he's speaking, all these people from all different languages and and nations are gathered together, probably on the south step of all uh, the temple there, a big area where they could be preaching. And it seems the other disciples are standing with him, probably taking the words that he is speaking in his sermon and in these other languages, preaching the same sermon. Translating, you might say, the same sermon. Because all the people heard the language in their own tongue. These were simple fishermen from Galilee. And now they were speaking in other tongues. I don't suspect it was like we find in charismatic churches where they were just babbling and no one understands unless there's an interpreter what the person is saying. It seems to me as I read Acts 2 that they spoke and they spoke with understanding of a new language that met a particular people group. And people that are listed here by Luke are from various tribes and nations and people. No matter where they came from, we we hear that they could hear in their own native tongue the praises of God being spoken. We're all here listening to English. There's not all kinds of people standing here of different languages. But imagine if there were. That's what really is happening here on the day of Pentecost. They were all hearing a unified message by the Spirit of Christ. The reverse, you could say, of the curse of Babel. And the Spirit gives this unifying principle here on the day of Pentecost that centers around the man, the God-man the Savior, the Lord, the head of the church, of the one true kingdom, Christ. Christ now has authority over all nations. He has ascended on high, and he sits on the throne, governing all the nations. And he's riding, if you will, on the gospel, the white horse, to all the nations. He has called his disciples, Matthew 24. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to the nations. 
What happened at Babel and the dispersing of the nations and the tongues of the people is now a call to come together to be united with one law language, one communication, one message of the gospel to all people. There's coming to pass what was foretold in Zephaniah 3, 8 to 12. It says, Therefore, wait ye upon me, says the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms, first this, to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Then this. For then will I turn to the people a pure language, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. From beyond the river of Ethiopia, my supplicants, even the daughter of my disperse, shall bring mine offering. In that day shalt thou not be ashamed for all thy doing, wherein thou hast transgressed against me. For then I will take away out of the midst of thee them that rejoice in thy pride, and thou shalt no more be haughty, Because of my holy mountain, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Who is this kingdom? Now that he is forming in unison, in unison, and and, and it's part of the body, it's part of the church in the New Testament that is speaking one language. We have one Lord, it's one Christ, one Savior who we worship, who we serve, and who we want to see his name propagated to all the nations and all the languages of this world again. I suspect that when Luke is writing even this in Acts 2, he may be calling back to mind what God has done at Babel. All the disciples praise God and his wonderful works with one voice using different languages, languages they had never spoken before. At Babel, you could say the earth was divided in their language and confusion of tongues with this miracle. And now at Pentecost, the Spirit is bringing about again in unison. The people are speaking with one voice, the praise of our God. The unity of people was again restored. Not by what man did, but by what Christ did. What he's doing here on the day of Pentecost. The judgment upon Babel was because of human ambition and arrogance of man. And now on the day of Pentecost, in the result of the work and power of a risen Christ, he's sending forth his spirit to accomplish his work, his kingdom, his church. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples weren't gathered to make a name for themselves. They were gathered in obedience to the command of Christ. Just as those at Babel's tower were assembled in disobedience to the command of Christ, coming together rather than going out, on the day of Pentecost, the disciples in obedience to Christ had come together and he poured out his spirit upon them to minister to the nations. They had gathered with this expectation. We are the New Testament church. 
are we gathered together with the same expectation of our risen, ascended Christ. It's not something we will accomplish individually or even as a small church or denomination, but are we doing what God gives us in the abilities by His Spirit He entrusts us with, gifts and talents, to accomplish the extension of His kingdom and His gospel and this one unity in Christ throughout the world. Luke says they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit of Christ dwelling in the disciples gave them to be able to speak in these other languages, to be understood. We're not looking for that same miracle today. But we are looking for Christ to pour out his spirit with the sense of the unifying message that calls people to repent of sin as the message of Pentecost was. We have crucified by our sin the Lord and Savior and now the call comes to us and to all people in the gospel. Trust Christ. Believe in him alone unto salvation. And as the disciples were here in chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, waiting for God to empower them to do the work he had called them to do, what he had called them to do was go out into all the world, beginning at Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth was a reverse of the curse at Babel. Oh, it's true that Christ would come and destroy Jerusalem only a few decades later, but the cause of his church and the gospel would continue in spite of suffering and in spite of persecution. Here, the church, the early New Testament church, was in obedience to the marching orders of her king. And when problems arose in the church post-Pentecost, what is often the fundamental ingredient that is associated with this division and no progress of the church? Lack of unity. Everyone seeking a name for themselves, individually or even as churches, and not keeping in mind the cause of the one who brings unity, who gives unity. And as these disciples are here, they must have been as amazed and awestruck as the people who heard them. What God was doing in these moments on the day of Pentecost. The language barriers were removed. All were worshiping the same Christ. All were surrendering to the same King. All were confessing the same name, the same Savior. And the same is true today. 
Wherever we go in the world, and even through translators and people who are working among other people with the gospel, when, when we come together and we're able to understand each other to some extent through translators and all kinds of uh, means that we can use to communicate, what do we find in the hearts of those all who belong to Christ? One language. One Lord. One word. Whether you go to North America or, or South America or Africa or, or China, wherever we go, it is the same language, in essence, that we are speaking. And this confusion, then, of the Tower of Babel is no hindrance to our God, but he will use it to serve his purpose and his glory and his kingdom. And I trust now that you see in some measure the connection between what God was doing and the confusion of tongues at Babel and then the unison of tongues at Pentecost. But I want to apply this in three ways this morning as we think about both of these historical events and then uh, try to make that applicable to us today. And the first question or thought I want us to think about is this. Are you still building Babel? Your Babel. Ultimately, what we see in the hearts of those in Shinar Valley is what lies at the heart of every person by nature. Pride, rebellion, arrogance, Disobedience to God's commands, making a name for ourselves, our family, our church, whatever. Is that how we live life? Is that how you live life? Is that what I do when I wake up in the morning? What I'm going to accomplish in my kingdom? It's about us. It's about me. And the reality is when we experience confusion in our life, disappointments even at times, can often be traced back to this reality we're not living in subjection to, in submission to, in delight in the one true God. When we come against God and his revealed word and commandments, it will end in confusion and disunity within and without. So when we hear the message of the unity that is found in the church, is it our delight and our desire to belong to those people who have one unified confession? Jesus is Lord. And it's not just words. But with even grief in our hearts at times that we don't live according to that confession, yet our heart's desire is wrapped around by this Spirit of Christ, this central thought that I could serve Him with the whole of my heart every moment of the day until I open my eyes in glory. This world is still trying to build their Babels. Dubai has now a building that is 
twice as tall as any other man-made structure. I think it's over a kilometer in height. Uh, The world is trying to find peace, peace, and yet there is no peace because it's united under this one and only way in which to find peace, the message of the king himself. Do you know the language of the children of God in contrast to the children of men at the Tower of Babel? Are we like this early church? Verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. And our earnest desire is that the church, the body of Christ, would flourish and grow and prosper Not only here, but beyond in our neighborhoods and beyond in our cities and beyond in this nation and into this world. And do we hope as, think about this, the children of God here, these disciples and the women who were gathered with them were gathered on that day of Pentecost with great anticipation and expectation on the word and promise of God. Do we gather together Lord's Day after Lord's Day with a measure of anticipation, expectation of our God? Of what has been promised? Do we hope in his word of promise? Or is our hope built on something less? And so the question might be asked, has God touched the tower of your Babel? And you stop building. And you've gone out in obedience to his commands. Think of what would happen if the church would be united in this one cause of Christ and there'd be no more sinful ambition And we would be united as on the day of Pentecost and in a different light than what Babel said when God could see his church united in this fashion and be able to say, in contrast to Babel, there is nothing that they will not be able to accomplish for the cause of my glory and my kingdom. Did not Christ say when his disciples came apart and he had come down with those couple of disciples to the others who had tried to cast out a demon and they said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. I say to you, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, remove thence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. What are you building? That's point one. Number two, as we look out in our culture, in our world today, in the particular moment in history where God has placed us, Do you not see, in some form or fashion, how man is again united with this same purpose and desire and intention as the children of men at the Tower of Babel? 
There is this press towards a unity, but apart from Christ, this unity that will lead only to slavery and to bondage. The whole pandemic is, I think, designed in some ways to bring about something of this sort of semblance of what unity as a world would look like, but not for the purposes of the kingdom of God. The world is trying to unite on many fronts. Global markets, always the bottom dollar is driving its force. There's a World Economic Forum. There's a World Health Organization. There's all kinds of world involvements for this idea of oneness and unity. And man imagines, God not being part of the picture, that we need to do this in order to survive. Else global warming will overtake us. Or some other catastrophe will destroy us. And so man is promoting again his sinful ideas and lifestyles and all kinds of things that we see happening. Even not only men with men and men with men and women with women, all of that happening in genetic uh, uh, kind of uh, distortions that we find and manipulations in God's ordained structures. But it seems as if there is this building of one tower in a different way uh, that we found in Genesis 11. Technology is coming to the foreground to help us accomplish this purpose. But as believers, we ought to be able to say, God looks down from heaven. He comes down to the earth to see what we're doing. The biggest atomic bomb. The most intelligent artificial intelligence is nothing in comparison to our God. The theme of men building towers to heaven and the idea of Babylon, which is derived from this word Babel in the first place. You have this throughout history of the Assyrians and the Old Testament and Babylonians and Medes and Persians and Greeks and Romans. And then you've got Spaniards and Englishmen and Germany and all of these. You seek world dominion. And John speaks of this in Revelation 13, 7. And he This is the Antichrist. Will make war with the saints in order to overcome them. And power will be given to him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him who are not written in the Lamb's book of life. There is this press among sinful fallen men divorced from God to unify against God. And all of this is a refusal to accept what God has done. What he's done at Babel and what he's done at Calvary, what he's done at Pentecost. When you get home, maybe read Revelation 17, 18, and 19 and put this in context and try to see the big picture and themes of what is being spoken of there, of this sea of people and multitudes, and languages, and tongues. 
And we read in chapter 18, 5, the sins of Babylon have reached to heaven. That's the place, I think, where we find ourselves also today. Fifteen years ago, I read an article about a molecular biologist, Lee Silver of Princeton University. And it's only developed since then. But he was claiming that human cloning is okay, and he predicted the day in which women will carry their own clone in their own womb, and there would be nothing immoral about having a mindless body in order to grow within yourself replacement parts. He says, whether we like it or not, the global marketplace will reign supreme. And the only limits on altering reproduction and human genetics will be whether people want it and can afford it. And maybe we could reason with ourselves and say, yeah, if they can create a body without a mind, well, that's much better than what they're doing in organ harvesting in China. That's how the world might answer. But a united one world system, an unending supply of technology will spell destruction and ultimately God's judgment. And so without the word of God to be our guide, without the union of Christ and in Christ, our world will continue to build its Babel. And dear friends, then, Let me leave you with this last thought. There's one kingdom. There is one king. There is one Lord of all. There is one people who are united together in one cause, who will live and who will die. But they are united to Christ. They will never die. And so Christ is building his church. He is calling them one by one. Still today. Building not a tower of Babel, but a glorious temple of which he is fashioning each and every stone to build a temple for himself not in pridefulness as the children of men, but as the Son of God, a place where he himself will dwell. A most glorious building. And there's coming a day when with one voice, one tongue and one language, this multitude of people will lift up their voices in unison in worship and praise of the one who sits on the throne and reigns forever and ever. And so the calling we have as a church is to live in anticipation of that day and to live in obedience to the commands of the king of the kingdom to go to the ends of the earth and to gather in those who are lost through the message that came on the day of Pentecost. The focus is not how to preserve ourselves and our particular culture, but it is to obey the commands of Christ to go to the ends of the earth with this one message. 
And this confidence we have then as the children of God, if we are in Christ, his promise to accomplish this purpose shall never fail. One day, Pentecost will be fulfilled in completion when with one language and voice, all shall praise the Lord. We read in Article 27 of the Belgic Confession of the Catholic Christian Church. They say this church is confessed to be the true Christian believer who all expect their salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed in his blood, sanctified and sealed by the Holy Ghost. And this church is not limited or confined or bound or limited to a certain place or to certain persons, but it's spread and dispersed over the whole earth and yet is joined and unified with heart and will by the power of faith in one and the same Spirit. And we read, and I close with this, Revelation 7. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels round about the throne and about the elders and four beasts fell down before the throne on their face and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, the one and only true God, who we worship and adore. We pray that our hearts may be caught up in the reality of what thou art accomplishing in this present world, even today. Do put to shame the plans of men who are seeking to be unified against the Christ and his kingdom and his people. Do yet give a period of time, we pray, where your kingdom may be expanded and extended to the ends of the earth, that we may be as instruments of blessing in your hand to that end, and that thou would gather in to one kingdom, one church, one body, those who are thine. Go with us now in this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.